Thank you, Richardson family. It's always a treat when we have all of you up here. Thank you very much for sharing your gifts with us and leading us in worship just now. Jeremiah 13, verses 1 through 11. Thus says the Lord to me, Go and buy a linen loincloth and put it around your waist, and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise. Go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates. Take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, Even so will I spoil the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart, and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, they shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a pride, a name, a praise, a glory, but they would not Listen, this is the word of God. Thank you very much for coming. You can be seated. And please bow with me while you're being seated, or making your way to your seat. Father, I pray that you would please use this word this morning to continue to do that work in us which you have begun. Lord, your word tells us that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And we know that you use means to accomplish those ends, and we know one of the greatest means that you use is the preaching of the Word of God. Paul said that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to the world, and we understand. We understand that. We recall when we regarded the truth as nothing, but Lord, you changed us. You called us out. You made us the people. Lord, you took us to yourself. And saved us. Now, Lord, help us in this state to continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Give us grace to listen to this word rightly and to love you, Lord, as you are due. And we pray, of course, that you would please also use this word this morning to save sinners, those who might not know you yet. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled the message this morning, are you spoiled? Are you spoiled? And I know, as you know, that almost any word can have two or more meanings based on context. If you were observant when I was reading, you know what kind of spoiled I'm talking about. I'm not talking about necessarily giving you too much stuff, making you not ever have to work for anything. I'm talking about dirty, ruined. That's what I'm talking about. Because that's what this text is talking about. The Lord is speaking to Jeremiah once again. And this is so 
wonderful. This is so important that the Lord continues to communicate to Jeremiah. And we know why he's communicating to Jeremiah. It's not just because he has nothing else to do. It's because he's concerned for his people. He wants this man, who he's chosen to be his mouthpiece, a prophet, to continue to speak to this people and continue to warn them. This is for the purpose of calling them back. You have to know that any time you're exposed to the word of God, that is the Lord loving you. It's so wonderful that we have the word of God. It's so wonderful that we can read it. Things that we just take for granted. We know this. We just do. Not all the languages on planet earth have the word of God in their language yet. And honestly, there's at least a third, there's probably more, but about a third of the world's population that is not literate. We're in a huge, blessed state. And so were these people. Because the Lord kept speaking to this man to warn them. He wanted them to turn back. Thus says the Lord, go, buy linen loincloth, put it around your waist, don't dip it in water. So I bought the loincloth according to the word of the Lord. Came to me a second time. Take the loincloth from around your waist. Go to the Euphrates and hide it in the cleft of the rock. So he does it. And he says, now go back and go get it. And he goes back and he digs it up and gets it. I want you to notice something that you probably already picked up on, though. This is an obedient man. Look at verse 1. Go and buy a linen loincloth. Put it around your waist. Verse 2, so I bought a linen loincloth and put it around my waist. Verse 4, take the loincloth, go to the Euphrates, hide it in the cleft of the rock. Verse 5, so I went and hid it by the Euphrates. Verse 6, arise, go to the Euphrates, take it from, take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide. Verse 7, then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the loincloth from that place where it was hidden. Go do this. I did it. Go buy this. I bought it. Go hide it. I hid it. We're supposed to see that. We're supposed to see that. And what's interesting is this might remind you, and I think it's supposed to remind you, of another man who we see acting this way. The man Abraham. Did he come to your mind? Because we get that about him. The first time he comes up in Scripture ever is in Genesis chapter 12. That's when he's called Abram. It's before God even changed his name. And he says to him, it's just, when you're reading Genesis, it almost seems to just come out of nowhere. Because you're coming from Genesis 11, where we're getting things about Noah and the flood and people being built back up again. And then all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 12, 1 happens. And it says this, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And then verse 4 says, so Abram went as the Lord told him. Go, do this. Abram went. What else? Genesis 22 Another example of a man who acted in the same way when it came to the Lord speaking to him. Another example from Abram's life. This is when he was then called Abraham. A really 
want to use the word terrifying command that he received. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Very next verse. So Abram rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and went to the place of which God had told him. Would that Cohen Ezel was this quick to obey? I want to be that quick to obey. There have been times where I've been that quick to obey. Can I say that I'm always that quick to obey? No. What an example. Here is the man whom God first promised the promised land to. This was the man that started it all. This is what we really, he gets the title as really the first Jew. Because from him came the Jewish nation. Now, if you define just Jew as a spiritual Jew, then okay, we're all Jews, right? We're all Jews according to the spirit. But according to the flesh, he's, he's been given that title by scholars of old. He was told, everywhere your foot shall trod, this land I'll give to you. And that's where the promise began for the people who were going to inherit the promised land. So here's the first man, the first Jew, walking in obedience. And then now we fast forward way to Jeremiah. And here's a man being obedient like Abraham. But his message is, tell the people they're about to get kicked out of the land. But there's still one who's obedient. And he's setting a great message for us. He's setting a great example for us and showing us great principles about how the people of God are supposed to be and the ones that receive God's blessings, right? These are the ones that receive God's blessings. The ones who walk in obedience to the word of God. Obedience is key. Obedience is key for the Christian. So much so that Jesus says things like this, you, are, you indeed know me if you obey my commands. You're my friend if you do what I command. Also, so much so that in John 3, the very last verse in that chapter, that great chapter where we find God so loved the world, the very last verse says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's strong. Obedience is key for the Christian. Obedience is key for the follower of God. And so here we find a man who's obedient, and this is the man that God's using to tell to the Jews who started off with a great example, Abraham, now you're going to be kicked out of the land. This cloth, God does this for the prophets. I don't want to say often, but from time to time, uses these visual examples. Even in the time of Paul, time of Paul, God told this gentleman, he just, it, it happens very quickly in the book of Acts, so you may not have even recognized it. A prophet was sent to Paul even. And he bound himself up by the wrists and says, this is what's going to happen to the man who owns this piece of cloth. And it was one of Paul's. God was telling him, you're going to be arrested. 
If, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. And he said, yes, I know. The Lord's made that clear to me again and again, but I'm going. I'm going because it's where my path leads. I know it's coming, but I'm going anyway. So these visual examples, these visual sermons the Lord has given from time to time. And here we have one. You may have noticed with this linen cloth that was wrapped around his waist, he wore it for a time. Then God tells him, go to the Euphrates and hide it there. What's interesting about this, the land of Israel, the promised land, is shaped like my hand. You know that. Got the ocean over here, the sea. Up here is the Euphrates River. During Solomon's time, he actually expanded his reign to touch the Euphrates River. What was south of it, he controlled. What was north of it, he didn't. And rivers often do that for us. They kind of mark boundaries. We know that the Mississippi River chops the Mississippi off and starts another state after that, right? It it makes a boundary. And that's what happened with the Euphrates. What was north of the Euphrates was not of the people of God. And so I think it's interesting that he said, go hide it at that river. Because what's going to spoil the cloth later comes from that river. And I think it's to show what spoiled my people was from what came outside the boundaries of the promised land. The sinful ways of those other people. But you may notice something changed with this cloth. From when Jeremiah originally placed it and when he went to retrieve it. Look at verse 5. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates. He just says he hid it. doesn't say he dug a hole and shoved it in there. He hid it. We know he hides it among some rocks. Did you know? You may have picked up on this. Did you notice then in verse 7? Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. You may have been... Well, actually, I know you are. I've actually never, never lived this close to so much water. I remember when we moved here, I was like, wow, look at this bridge that goes over this water. Wow, there's another lake, and there's a pond. There's, just, there's water everywhere around here, even the mall. I've never walked out of a mall and then looked to the right and seen this large body of water. Any mall I've ever been to my entire life, it's never sat right at the water's edge. You guys have water everywhere around here. It's beautiful. You know this. That there are times when rivers flood and it will bring up with it all this silt and nastiness and it'll get places where it wasn't before, right? That's what I think probably happened here. I don't know for sure. But there's just this, I hit it in some rocks and then he goes back to get it and he had to dig to get it. And it was nasty. I'm thinking perhaps... Just the nastiness of the water when it flooded up then says, oh gosh, now I'm going to have to dig down to get it. I think that's a picture too of my people got too close to the nations and their wickedness flooded up upon them and buried them in their wickedness because they liked it. They were too close to them and they invited it as it were. We will sometimes dance that line. You know this about yourself. We'll sometimes dance that line right between what I shouldn't do and where I'm supposed to be. We get right to the edge. We get right to the 
very, very edge. It's in our nature, even. I remember being in school. It's like, okay, what's the, what's the bare minimum I have to do to graduate high school? I, I, I don't want to do any extra. <laughs> I don't want to fail, and I don't care about graduating with honors. I don't care. I want out of high school. What's the bare minimum I have to do? Well, you can still pass with a D minus. All right, that's my goal. <laughs> a D minus. <laughs> and even as Christians will t- sometimes carry that over, it's almost like, what's the, you know, what's like the very least I have to do? And don't fall into that. People of Israel got too close to the edge. And then they ended up going all the way in. And they were buried in the filth of the nations. And I think that's what we're supposed to see here. So concerning this cloth that's now spoiled, now good for nothing, R.C. Sproul said this. He says, its ruin depicts the corruption of the people no longer fit for a relationship with the Lord. And it was their fault. It was their fault. Nobody from the nations came and strong-armed them into doing these sins. They sinned for the same reasons you sin. They wanted to. Every time you've sinned, it's because you wanted to do it. It was. Now, God willing, if you're in the faith, you've repented after it because you felt dirty, you felt filthy, you felt guilty. And godly sorrow produces repentance. We're supposed to feel that. And hopefully we learn from those things. Some of us learn slower. But now this cloth, which represents his people, is good for nothing. It was spoiled. This linen would not come clean. You know that silt from the river and silt from some places, even in Alabama, it's like very fine. And if it gets on something white, especially, and something very delicate, it's ruined. Even with the strong chemicals we have to clean things now, like bleach, there's some things even bleach won't get out. Well, they didn't have bleach back then. That's why he says it's good for nothing. This will never be good again. It will never be good again. This linen was fine and beautiful. That's why... The robes of the priests were made from it. It was fine, it was delicate, it was beautiful. It's probably why also linen is used here, because it was the part of the priestly apparel. And as you might recall, the people of God are called a priesthood. This represented his people and what they were supposed to be. And it represented his people and what they had become. Good for nothing. That's a strong phrase. Isn't it? I mean, I promise you, if somebody looked in your face and said this phrase, you're good for nothing, you wouldn't forget that. You would never forget that, probably. You probably, even 20, 30 years later, said, you want to know what he said to me one day? 30 years later. 40, 50 Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to me, thus says the Lord, even so I 
will spoil the pride of Jerusalem, the great pride of Judah. These people had pride, not a good kind of pride, the bad kind of pride. There they were with their chest puffed out. Look how great we are. We're the people of Judah. We have King David and we have Jerusalem. We have the temple. We're awesome, but they weren't. They had their chest puffed out, and they thought they were the best, and they thought they were going to do everything their wicked heart wanted to do, and they were going to be fine. Look at us. We didn't get captured like those people up north did. We're going to be fine. God says, I'm going to spoil you. You will be spoiled like this cloth was. You're already spoiled in your souls and I'm going to come in and I'm going to spoil you. We know the message of this book is that the Babylonians are going to come and invade them. But verse 10 is very good for us because verse 10 is not just descriptive. It's also prescriptive. What do I mean? It doesn't just describe what's going on with them. It gives us a prescription for what not to do. How does verse 10 start? Well, pretty strong. <laughs> this evil people. This evil people. Well, what makes them evil? Well, he breaks it down into three parts. Let's look at the first part, okay? The first part of verse 10. This evil people who refuse to hear my words. Have you ever heard of the Westminster Larger Catechism? Catechism is just a collection of truths that people have brought together, and they said, let's ask questions, and then let's give the answer from Scripture. Well, the, the Westminster Larger Catechism is gigantic, and it was created by these Presbyterian brothers from of old who have more Bible knowledge in their big toe than I'll ever have in my whole life. These guys are Bible scholars par excellence. And question 160 of the Westminster Larger Catechism is this. What is required of those that hear the word preached? Remember, the first thing wrong with these people that made them evil was that they refused to listen to God's word. They refused to hear his word, right? So, question 160, what's required of those that hear the word preached, meaning us, meaning Christians? What's required of us when we hear the word preached? What should we then do with it? This is the answer. It's required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. That means like pay close attention to it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. And they used 13 different proof texts by which they created that big long sentence. 13 different proof texts they used to create that answer. They say, well, according to the word of God... This would be the answer. This is how we're supposed to hear and what we're supposed to do when we hear the word preached. Attend to it with diligence, preparation, prayer. Examine the scriptures. Make sure it's right. 
receive it by faith, love, meekness, readiness of mind. Receive it as it really is, the word of God, meditate on it, pay close attention to it, hide it in our hearts, and bring forth fruit. 13 different proof texts. That's what people who have the spirit and who love the truth are to do when we hear the word preached. Now, do we do all, do we do all those things? Do you go through a checklist on Sunday afternoons and say, okay, here I go, here I go? No, I, I don't either. But some of those things should be sewn into our hearts and minds and lives when it comes to how we hear the word of God, yes? Four separate times in the scriptures, we read that Jesus followed his teaching with this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Remember that phrase? That happened on four different occasions in the scriptures that he used that phrase. What were they? After he told them who John the Baptist really was? After he told them the parable of the sower in the four different soils? After he taught them about the lamp under a basket, not hiding your lamp under a basket? And then lastly, when he taught about the cost of being his disciple and warned that salt should not lose its saltiness. Following those four different occasions, or coupled with them, he used that phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What did he mean by that? Just, hey, if you're not deaf, then you probably heard what I said. He didn't mean that. What did he mean? It's his way of saying, those of you who are able to hear this, and desire to hear this, and rejoice in hearing this, take Heed and apply these eternal truths to your hearts and your lives. That's essentially what he meant by, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Meaning, if you're hearing this, and you like hearing it, and it's doing something in you, then take heed, and apply it, and live it, and love it. That's what he means. There's a proper way to hear the word of God. There's a proper way to hear the word of God, and they were not doing it. These evil people, number one, who refuse to hear my words. This evil people who refused to do what we just said. Hear it and take it in like food, like something important, like something good, like something worthy of giving my time and my effort and my life to. They didn't do that. They looked at it and they said, not worth it, don't want it, could care less, frankly. Like other stuff instead, no thanks. What did that lead to? It leads to the second thing in verse 10. It says, these evil people who refuse to hear my words, and number two, who stubbornly follow their own heart. It's a lot in that phrase, stubbornly follow their own heart. They're stubborn, not in how they follow their own heart. They're stubborn against the word of God. They're refusing to bend. They're refusing to be taught. They're refusing to be how God wants them to be. Why? Because they're stubbornly 
following their own heart. Their heart gives them a desire. Their heart has some sort of hunger. It wants to be fed by some lustful passion or go after fame and riches and egotism or whatever, and they follow it. They're following, stubbornly following their own heart. Don't follow your heart. This isn't Disney. Don't follow your heart. It's wicked. We have to define things the way the Word of God defines things. And the Bible says, you know this verse. Man's heart is what? Desperately wicked. Not really truthful. Not right in all that it wants. None of that. It's desperately wicked. Now we might use the phrase, I get it. Sometimes we use the phrase and we don't think about that. But you shouldn't do that. Like I told you last time we spoke... Last time I spoke to you, words mean something. And we need to be a people that put meaning behind words. Because words mean something. Guys, this book is a collection of what? Words. And they mean something. Each one of them. Sometimes even very small ones mean a whole lot. What if I changed John 14, 6? What if I just changed one word? Jesus said, I am a way. Instead of the way. That's huge. That would change Christianity. That would actually do away with Christianity. And all I did was change one word. Words have meaning. A lot of meaning. Which is why we should listen to them. Why we should heed them. And not let our heart give us meaning. They stubbornly follow their own hearts. I think this is supposed to harken back to something because it uses the same word and the people have the same attitude. Listen to Deuteronomy 21. Children, especially listen to this one. (laughs) You don't realize how good you've got it. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21 If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and, though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, am I trying to suggest in any way that that we resurrect this? No, it was a part of the old covenant. And the truth is, had the people of God actually obeyed it, there probably would have only been one death once. One time, more than likely, and then the people would have heard and feared because they would have said, oh my gosh, these people take the word of God seriously and they take sin seriously, so let's not do that. Which is why church discipline is so important. Which is why justice, real justice is so important. 
You think if we had people actually, truly, really, and rightly disciplining their children, do we have as many problems in our society? Of course not. We say, boy, this is harsh. Well, it's because if you let something begin to break down the family, guess what happens? The family breaks down. And if you let sin run rampant and give it license, guess what happens? It doesn't just fade away. Oh, it, it'll fade away. No, it grows. Sin is cancerous. It is a cancer. And it'll continue to devour. So here, it's interesting. We get, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son. Well, God's the father. And Israel are his children. And guess what? They're stubborn and they're rebellious. And he's going to discipline them. They're acting like the son who should be put to death because he has become good for nothing. That's why God says, just put him to death. If he is, number one, refusing the discipline. It didn't say they started with this. Oh, you're being lazy? All right, elders, let's just kill him. No, it says he refused discipline. Means they tried and they tried and they tried, and he was just lazy and a drunkard. We teach our children, this is what we teach them. We're disciplining them and training them up in obedience here in our home because I tell them this. I've said this phrase if you don't learn obedience from daddy, you're going to learn it from the police, and they're not as nice as daddy. Really? You're going to learn obedience from somebody. You better learn it in the home so that you don't have to learn it from the police. I let them watch cops with me. I like, I like watching cops. I like watching the bad guys get caught and tased and maced. I love it. Because <laughs> part of me is like wishing, ooh, I wish I was the guy doing it to him. So I let them watch that on purpose. You know why? So that they don't want to be that guy getting tased and his face hitting the concrete because he's stiff as a board. I want them to say, I don't want that to be me. Or shot. And some people in the Old Testament deserved that. And the truth is, we all deserve it. Let's continue on with the prescription. They stubbornly follow their own heart. And then, number three, have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. This is the devolving of the people of Israel. This is the progression of their regression. This is why they regressed into their evilness. This was the progression for them of doing it. They refused to hear God's words, which led to them stubbornly following their own hearts, which led to them chasing after other gods. And this chasing after other gods was not just a, hey, we sort of like these gods. No, it wasn't that. It was that they, let me find it here, served them and worshipped them. I gave counsel to a young man once because I noticed that he had his girlfriend 
what I call at worship level. He was not just infatuated with her. He had her at worship level. He was, as it was, he was essentially worshiping her. And I had to give him counsel and show him that. It's like, you don't realize how infatuated you are with her. She could do anything at this point, anything, and you would still like her and want her. And we, and we put things at God level, at worship level in our lives. Some people put their children at that level. I know, I know of a marriage that failed because a wayward, wicked child, one spouse, was seeing the situation rightly from a God level, from Scripture, saying, this is bad, this is wicked, it's sin. The other spouse said, but he's my baby. And the marriage split because one person stood on the truth and said, but that's sin, that's sin. Yes, love him, but we've got to call sin, sin. And the other one said, I think you're wrong. So wrong, in fact, I'm siding with him. See you later. You're not above that. I'm not above that. How do we keep ourselves from stuff like that and from stuff like this, putting anything at God level except God? We look at the prescription here of what they fell into, how they fell into it. You stop hearing the word of God, start following your own heart, which is what she was doing, but that's my baby. Moms, you have to be very careful with this. I see it more in moms. Being tolerant of sin in your own children that you would never be tolerant in other people's children's lives. I see it. And it's because God's given you a motherly heart to care and care and care, but we distort that. Just like us men are geared certain ways and and we can distort that. I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you, you've got to watch out for that. You will tolerate sin in your child's life because I love him. If you love him, you'd guide him into truth. That's what you would do if you really loved him. You wouldn't let him devolve into sin and self and the world and Satan's path just because it makes him happy. I don't give a rip if it makes you happy. If it's sin, it's sin. I don't care if it makes me happy. If it's sin, it's sin. Amen? And it's really damning you, not helping you, despite what your wicked heart tells you. These truths are strong, but good, aren't they? They are. They've gone after other gods to serve them and worship them. These three things, these three three steps, like I said, are not only descriptive, they're prescriptive. Basically, they say, this is how they fell, so we then need to look at them and say, well, let's not do that. Right? Let's end with this, verse 11. Verse 11. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord. Salvation is of God. Who did he say made Israel and Judah cling to him? He said he did it, 
God made them cling to him. He made them cling to him. They would not have clung to him otherwise, and you would not have either. Jesus says in John 6, 44, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me does what? Draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. That drawing has the picture of drawing well up out of a water. I mean, (laughs) water up out of a well. It is someone throwing a bucket into the well and yanking the water up. It's the same idea. God doesn't stand at the top of the well and say, here, water, water, oh, please come. Oh, gosh, my heart's just broken until you come. Golly, I'm sad. No, he does like he does with the apostle Paul. He knocks you down and grabs you and says, you're mine now. And what happens at the same time, though, is your heart's regenerated and you see Jesus for the first time, and you want him, and you see your sin for what it really is, and you say, oh, this filth I'm in, save me. They happen simultaneously, two sides of the same coin. That's why we sometimes get it mixed up. We say, but I, no, I came, I chose him. Okay, I don't doubt that you chose to believe. But why did you choose to believe? What was under that? Yes, on the surface, Arminians and Reformed people don't like to say the C word. It gets so misunderstood. On the surface, we say, yeah, people believe. They come and they love Jesus. Where we differ is, why'd they come? The Arminian says, well, because I was smarter than the guy next to me. Well, okay, I don't want to put up a straw man. They won't actually say that. But they'll basically say, well, because I because I wanted to. Yes, you did. Why did you want to? Because you didn't want to 30 seconds prior to that. And why did Paul want to worship the guy that he hated? Because God said, you're mine now. I'm changing your heart. Why, God? Because I want to. Because you were chosen in me before the foundation of the world. Why why doesn't God choose everyone, Cohen? Why does God choose anyone? None of us deserve to be in heaven. Zero. All of us deserve to be in hell. The question is, why does God save anyone? Because he shouldn't. That's the truth, right? Judge of all the earth judges rightly. None of us deserve to be there. None of us. None of us. If you say, well, then then why not everybody? Read Romans 9. Just go read it. That's your homework if you want to know why. Why, why, why? Go read Romans 9. God made Israel and Judah cling to him. I, he says, I tied them around my waist. I made them mine. I wore them as an ornament, a beautiful ornament. These are my people. Look how, look how beautiful they are. I love them. I love them. They're with me. They're on me. I tied them so tight. But they said, no thanks. We'll untie ourselves now. But what would they have been, according to this verse, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. 
but they would not listen. The idea, the idea of this verse here is better captured, I think, in the New American Standard translation. It translates it this way, that they might be for me a people for renown, for praise, and for glory. In other words, they would be God's people, honor God's name, give praise to God, and glorify God. That's, that, that's the idea here. That's the idea of the blessing that God wants to pour out on us. And he does pour on us through his son. None of us come to this God ever. How does he regenerate? What do we see when we're regenerated? What do we see when we open up our eyes? We see Jesus, the one who took the punishment that should have been ours. He is the way, like I said earlier, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him because he made the way for us to be saved by taking that punishment that should have been ours rising again from the dead, procuring salvation for all his people. And they will come. My sheep, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They'll come. But the means that God uses for them to come is us. We share the gospel. We pray. And God brings them in. But no one gets saved without hearing the gospel. No one. At the end, it says, they would not listen. See, some people aren't going to listen to the message. Some people might not even listen to this message. And by listen, I don't mean click on it on the, on, on the internet and listen. I mean hear it, but not hear it. If you have ears to hear, hear this message. Learn from these people. Don't be spoiled. Father, thank you very much for this truth. We are glad for it. Please help us to learn from it. You have given us here a prescription as to what not to do. Help us not to fall into these ways, Lord. Help us to listen attentively. Help us to learn to distrust our heart and help us to only worship you and put nothing else above you, nothing else above you, Lord, that we might be your people recognized for your renown, receiving your favor, seeing your glory, drawn to praise you as well. Thank you for this word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.